Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, and I am delighted to be joined today by Adrian Martini. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. So how goes the skirt knitting? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The skirt knitting hit a setback, but it's okay. No, it's okay. Um, Part of knitting is realizing that sometimes you're going to be unknitting, and that's all right. Uh Uh Um, As a friend of mine once said, you know, the time is going to pass anyway, so you might as well get it right the first time, Um, or get it right eventually. Um, So I had to go back and rewind. Um, I'm essentially back at the beginning, but that's okay. We'll do it better this time. So how far did you get? I'll work out the end. Where you say I hadn't gotten very. It was not far. It okay. was maybe half an inch, and I realized that I had made a just silly mistake, mm. and mm. it was just easier to go back. So, mm-hmm. oh my goodness! But I will get it. <laughs> I will get it. Because <laughs> it's a beautiful skirt from the from the picture oh, you it's sent. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and you should feel the yarn. So when I finish it, anytime I see anyone, I'm going to make them feel me. So. <laughs> feel my bum. It feels so good, don't it? <laughs> yes, it feels. So good. So good on my honey. <laughs> so, hey, so when we were uh, thinking about what we might want to talk about, you intimated that you had an interesting long run on <laughs> Saturday. Let's let's hear about it. Yes. Well, so uh, the weather in the Northeast is changeable at best. <laughs> um, and I was looking at a forecast and I, I saw this big blob um, on the radar that was, you know, green, and then it was kind of the yellow, and then it was the red. And I thought, well, I'll make it in plenty of time, right? If I leave right now, um, I will make it on the run and get back, and then it will start to rain. That and like, could you could you see like quite... could you see like clouds on the horizon or anything like that? Or oh, like... yeah, yeah, no, it was totally going to rain. I mean, I looked out the door and went, yeah, no, it's going to rain. Which is why I looked at the radar in the first place to see if I was going to have enough time. Uh, so I discovered that I'm really not very good at math, um, or at estimating how quickly storms are moving apparently, because I got to about mile three and a half, which was the turnaround point on my seven mile run. And it was literally like somebody had taken an entire bathtub full of water and just dumped it right on top of my head. (laughs) And I was running through that then for the next three and a half miles. Um, and I did briefly stop under some stranger's tree in her front yard or his front yard I don't know um to see if there's going to be any more lightning because there was just like one lightning flash and I wanted to make sure that this was just merely foolhardy and not potentially fatal um and I briefly toyed with calling my husband to see if he would come get me Mm. um but first off part of me was like oh no 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 that is not a thing that's going to happen um, and also, uh, one of our local buses came past and I was like, I wonder if I could talk to the bus driver, just taking me to the next, you know, to a stop near my house and I'll run I've, in and get money. I've always thought that like, would a public <laughs> bus give a runner a ride? That's what. Right? <laughs> Isn't that a great question though? Cause I was thinking about it. I was like, well, I have no cash, but you know, maybe I should start just running with bus fare or something. Right. Um, and I also didn't want to take my phone out of my pocket because it was in like it was under a waterproof ish not thoroughly waterproof but waterproof ish jacket and then it was in like another pocket mm-hmm. so I didn't want to take my phone out and potentially get it just soaking wet um so I decided to just soldier on and by the time I got home uh my husband had gone upstairs uh to essentially put his shoes on so that he could come out and find me because wow. I was running a little bit late yeah um, but by the time I got home, I was just standing by the back door, literally dripping all over the place and laughing hysterically because it was just so funny. You reach a point where you either have to embrace it or just spend the next 45 minutes so ticked off that you can't stand anything. And I just reached a point where I was like, this is hysterical. Oh, yeah. Um, so I just stood there dripping for a while. Uh, my husband came downstairs and did that thing where he's like, I really want to laugh, but I don't know how well that's going to play. <laughs> um, and just kind of looked at me like, can I laugh? Because I really want to laugh. Um, and I was like, oh, this is this is truly hysterical. Um, so then we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I have to say that shower was, I think, the like nicest, warmest shower ever. And it was nice to just be dry um, and inside while it just poured. 
Isn't it so? Isn't it funny was, though how you can curse the the wetness while you're running with the rain, yet then a shower feels so good, and it's like, huh, it's still just water falling on me, <laughs> yes. but somehow. Right. Right. Uh, uh, well, maybe it's good. maybe I should have taken all my clothes off in the middle of the, of the pouring. <laughs> there you maybe go. Maybe that's the difference. Something about being wet and clothed and wet and mm-hmm. uh, naked in the shower. It might be the difference. But I also discovered that the only time I got cold was when I stopped running. So I was like, well, okay. So lesson learned to keep running. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just keep running. Yeah. Just keep so running. That was, just keep running. Just keep running. So uh, that was kind of a interest. I have never really had that happen where I was just soaked to the bone. Oh, uh, coming to, back from a training run, so you need um, to, you need to spend a little more time in Portland. <laughs> you need to, I'm like, well, uh-huh. <laughs> other than the we don't have lightning, um, or we very rarely have lightning, so that that's not a scenario I face. But you know, being soaking wet at the end of a run, I'm like, uh huh, yep, um, yeah. When you were like, no, I was soaking, and I'm like, uh huh, I understand what that means. I understand what it means to literally drip yeah. on the floor when you get back from a run. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this was this was a new one yeah this was a new one on me um i've arrived home in various states of frozen this was the first time i've ever really gotten home and just been soaking wet so um but i know you're training for something i am also in the rain uh no 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 so no we we haven't had rain in gosh i don't know when the last time i went running in the rain is you know because it's coming up on summer we don't really have rain in the summertime so yeah my sister-in-law go ahead i was about to say my sister sister-in-law lives in Seattle and she insists that whenever we come out to visit it's always in July and August because that's when the good weather is so that's when the nicest weather is I would say that we have good weather year round yes (laughs) it's like I learned to call my (laughs) learned to call my ankle that had the four fractures my affected ankle not my bad ankle Uh, it's all all in how you sell it um so yes I am training for a 10k which is something I haven't done I haven't run a 10k race in seven years now that I think about it now that I do the math and um that was when I was when I did that in 2009 I was coming off my uh, marathon PR and so um my coach definitely had said after Boston she's like Sarah you built a lot of speed in those legs I think it would be good if you did a shorter race to really see what you can do so I've hemmed and hawed, but I'm finally um, registering, and I found a really intriguing 10K race. It's part of it. They also have a half marathon and a 5K. It's called the Twilight Half Marathon, and no, it's not like um, out in four. I was about to say, yeah, it's it's, it's, in- <laughs> yeah, team. I'm on Team Edward. No, <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, um, or am I? Which one was the? I I am not a fan of Robert Pattinson. Yeah. I'm the wrong person. To okay, ask. T- okay, Team Jacob. Then I'm, I think I'm Team Jacob because man, I I find Robert Pattinson okay. so repulsive to look at. He's just like he looks like he's. Uh, oh, see, this is your Yeah. Oh, so wait, you you dig his scene? I I do dig his scene. I have a thing for the tall, skinny, oh. with interesting bone structure. Yeah. Mm. I'm sorry, but mm. he looks like he slept on his face too much as a baby. Like I'm okay. <laughs> i'm right with that i I have problems with it um yeah i also have a thing for uh chris thiele who's a mandolin player for nickel creek who has a very similar kind of kind of look to him and our our 27 year old male uh producer alex is like ah yes i know who that is (laughs) (laughs) yes alex goes total man crush Well, Chris Thiele's wife is uh, his wife is in Grimm, so she's a port. They're in Portland, or were. I, I mean, Grimm is no longer, but yeah, it's not. Yeah. Grimm is. Oh, it may still. Yeah, no, I I'm think. Sorry, I think they have half a season left. Uh, I think they. I, that's what I. I don't know exactly. I, I'll just walk down the street and ask my neighbors who are the stars of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, no, but, but his wife is the hex beast whatever that means oh so. sure and krista Ryder, who is um a mother runner who's a, a big part of our community and helps me stuff swag bags for the train like a mother club she has run into that actress at whole foods and gotten the cutest oh. selfie that she instagrammed uh krista specializes oh. in not only running into all the cast of grim but then getting the most adorable photos with them so, uh, 
I don't know. She she was on the, you know, Krista, she was on, if you get our brochure, she was on the cover of our 2015 brochure. She's the one pushing her son in a stroller. Oh, right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And she just turned 47. I went out with her the night before her birthday and she got carded going into the happy right. hour. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why am I still friends with Krista? I really don't know now that I say it all out loud. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, you're training this so, so for this twilight this twilight half marathon now no, now no one will forget the name of it uh twilight half marathon 10k and 5k it's in vancouver washington which not to be confused with vancouver british columbia which is in canada but vancouver washington is just across the columbia river um and so it is in the as its name um foretells it is it is in the um it is in the <laughs> evening it's i think it starts at 6 15 p.m. and it mm-hmm. is um what really sold me on it is that every participant gets a free organic burrito from this really good chain of restaurants out here <laughs> called laughing planet and then two organic right. beers which to someone said but sarah you don't really drink that much i'm like two free beers i can do that and um, <laughs> like, my burrito yeah and you get this really cool um tank top that has like glow in the dark printing on it um cool. so i mean it's a ton of great swag and it's kind of like a yeah, party afterwards my my main concern oh and i do have to say i had a really good run this morning and training's been going quite well and this morning molly and i uh ran four miles and then did eight strides and then we had to do some strength training but on the strides at one point i was thinking am i setting the pace or is she setting the pace like kind of and i was like oh it feels like we're really going fast but i couldn't tell who was leading the charge and when we um slowed to stop after that one she goes sarah you are just so fast these days I was like, oh, oh did, did you think I was? She was like, yeah, you were totally setting the pace on that one. I was like, oh, that's good. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so my main, I'd say perhaps my main concern is that, you know, an evening race. I'm not that, um, yeah. I've, I've done, I did rock and roll Las Vegas, the half marathon. And that was, it's a drag kind of to have to like lounge during the day and like plan how you drink and eat during the day and you know i mean i guess pooping doesn't become such a big factor um so you know usually the shoot's cleared by then um so um yeah so i don't know so it's july 9th and i'm excited for it so yeah yeah sounds great Yeah, yeah 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 So this is a Father's Day edition of the AMR podcast. We always like to have uh, a dad runner on for the Father's Day weekend. And this year, this day, we're talking to Tom Foreman, who's an Emmy Award winning CNN correspondent. He's the author of My Year of Running Dangerously, which came out last fall and is just now being released in paperback. And My Year of Running Dangerously chronicles his return to running when prompted by his older daughter to train for a marathon with her. So we're going to find out all about that from Tom. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. Tom Foreman, welcome to the show. Good to be here. So in your book, you wrote about um, the marathon that you were training for with your daughter wasn't your first marathon. Can you tell us a little bit about your running background? Well, it it was the first in a long time, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Uh, You know, when I was young, I was a natural runner. It it was easy for me to run long distances. I I generally said that the longer the race was, the better chance was that I would win. I wasn't quick, but I could run for a long time at the same speed. And so in high school, I could easily win many track meets with very little effort. When I went to college, I guess I probably could have run cross-country, but I just wasn't that interested, in, particularly not in training. Mm -hmm. So when I ran four marathons when I was younger, they were just, you know, I didn't get ready for them the way I should have. They were very difficult. And, of course, bear in mind, this is the late 80s, early, late uh, 70s, early 80s. People routinely believed then that you were going to crash in the last five or six miles of the marathon. So when I crashed, I thought, well, that's what happens. That's how this race is run. And and then when my daughter came around and asked me, my first thought was, wow, I remember that. And it's really, really hard. And I don't think I have it in me in my 50s. But we started training, and Bob's your uncle. We ran it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at what point during your marathon training with Ronnie did you decide to write a book about your experience? 
Oh, that came much later. I mean, oh. we did we did the marathon training by much later. I mean, months and months later because we we did the marathon training and it went really well. And the reason it went well, honestly, was that for the first time in my life, I took seriously the idea of training. Mm-hmm. So I really went out there and did the work because I, I thought it doesn't matter if you have natural talent when you're over 50, you've got to do something more. Right. It's not going to you know, because you don't have the bounce back like you do when you're a kid. And so I really took training seriously. And I was shocked to find out that by training, the race could be a delight. Right. It's crazy. And I it? had. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. And I had this wonderful time. Right. And when it was done, I felt so good about running. That's when I was saying, well, well, what else do I do with this now? Because it seems a shame to put all this work in and feel so great about it and then just give up. And essentially, Ronnie said, well, why don't you just keep running? Right. And I started picking other races and stacking them up. And and in any event, by the time I had worked my way through um, four half marathons or somewhere in that process and three marathons, I I was in that same year. And I was starting, I was in the process of getting ready for my first ultra marathon of more than 50 miles. Mm -hmm. That's when I thought, well, this is a really interesting story, much more than I would have thought. And I was having so many people who I knew, even people who weren't into running, who were fascinated by it, that at my age, I'd gone from essentially a standing start to doing that much running in a year. But I thought, well, this is really interesting. Plus, most importantly, it was changing a lot of my own views about my life and about my work and about my family and about everything. And I thought that was equally important and interesting as every uh, long distance runner can tell you. Right. Because yeah, it is a, somewhat of a memoir, even though it just focuses on, on your one year. Yeah. It is. I often say to people, they say, what's the book about? And I'll say, it's about family and it's about relationships and it's about change and it's about getting older and it's about doubt and it's about effort and it's about reward and it's about failure and it's about fear and it happens to have a lot of running in it right <laughs> right <laughs> it's really about all those other things and the running is just part of it right um so speaking about that about how it's about family um how did it feel to share marathon training with your college age daughter? I mean, you weren't in the same place, but it seems like the training prompted you guys to communicate a lot more than you would it, normally talk. It was the best. It really was. And we've, right. and we've always been a, we're a close family, but here was, here's what's really important about this for me. This was her first, she was just off at college, her first semester at college. She was in a very demanding field. She had a ton of work in front of her. Um, and, and one of the difficult things, as anybody, if you're thinking about having children, if you have children, if they're old, if they're young, whatever they are, you become aware of this idea that there is a transitional time when they're no longer really children. Right. They're not really grown up either, but they're no longer really children, and you can't relate to them the way you did when they were 11. Mm-hmm. So you have to have something to do that was different. And running, because it hadn't existed in any really substantial form in our lives together up until that point, it became this new grown-up language where we started on the same page. I mean, yes, I had a lot more experience overall, but it was something where we could both talk about it and say, hey, we started this together. And now so much of our language even today revolves around running and around what we've been up to. And it, and it became a place where whenever we had uh, something to talk about that might have been serious about her school or about my work or whatever, that, that where it was really easy to fall back into the, the, the I'm the dad, you're the daughter mm-hmm. pattern, running became the thing that even in that conversation brought us back to, well, how'd your run go today? Now we're more like two adults talking to each other. We're sharing a new experience that was not rooted in her being a child. Mm-hmm. And we oftentimes say that it's easier to have heartfelt conversations when you're running because you're not oh. looking someone in the eyes. And, you know, that I guess in one of our books we say, you know, when you keep your eyes on the road, you can speak more from the heart. So did, did you wow. find that to be that's the a great? That's a great line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So well, did, and, and you know what it is? I mean, how much of it is just the fact that you're – 
that you're just away from all the things that distract us these days. Mm -hmm. No matter where you go now, there is something at your elbow that, that can offer you a million distractions. And it's so much nicer when you get out there and say, you know what, we might be distracted by a duck on the <laughs> pond, uh-huh. but that's about it. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is just let's run, let's relax, let's talk and spend time outside. Yeah, it's, it's, that's the quality time associated with running to me is immense. And, and frankly, that's quality time whether I'm running with someone who I care about a great deal or if I'm running alone. That quality time counts a lot, too because it gives me time to think about things without, without a, you know, a million bells and alarms going off around me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And does your younger daughter, does she ever now say, hey, Dad, let's, let's run a race together or anything like that? <laughs> the, the younger one <laughs> runs some. In fact, it's really funny because uh, um, I was uh, I, to, to promote the, uh, the paperback release of the book, I shot this little video with her at home. And the younger one is very funny. She does stand-up comedy. And she's just, just, you know, as mentioned in the book, she's sort of the queen of snarkiness. And she, I, I started to do this little interview with her for the book, and she just went off on about an eight-minute set of riffs <laughs> about how difficult running is and about how, oh, dear God, did I guess, okay, fine, I'll say something. But, but really, really funny. She actually does like running. She's really good at it. She doesn't do it that often. Uh, she does more workout stuff for a while. She was into boxing, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so she she generally likes running, not a, not a tremendous amount, um, but she's pretty good at it when she wants to. She's one of those people who, I honestly, I think she's kind of like me. She can not run at all, and then like a 10K will come up, and she'll say, okay, I'll go. And she can run it pretty well for somebody who's you know, doing no preparation. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what she does in the long run. But, right, but right. the whole family's running. My wife ran her first half marathon this year. Oh, awesome. Nice. Yeah. Did you run it with did her? Yeah. Did you run it, or, yeah. <laughs> did you run it no. together? I, no, I let her. I, I did lots. I had signs, and I cheered her from the sidelines, and I waved the signs, and I chased her down and rang cowbells for her and did that for the whole race, in part because, you know, running is, is uh, running with people can be a wonderful thing. I think for my wife, it was a little bit of a daunting thing, especially with me, because she mm-hmm. always felt like, oh, well, I'm holding you back. And I don't, I mean, I genuinely don't care. Somebody could come up to me and say, hey, we go for a run. I want to run 15-minute miles. I'm like, fine. That's no problem. But but I think it bothered her. She felt like, I, I, want, I don't want to feel like I'm holding you back. Plus, this was her accomplishment. And I really thought when she was getting ready for this, I thought, you know what? I will cheer you on in a million different ways, but go have a good run and let yeah. me cheer for you the way you've cheered for me. And you don't have to worry that I'm at your elbow or that, that there's something about what I've done that in any way diminishes what you do. So she had a great run. She ran really well and seemed to be, she finished looking as fresh as she started. Mm-hmm. And she has two more scheduled later this year. Oh, oh good for her. She's, yeah. She's yeah. like you, stacking stacking it up oh, with yeah, the races. She's, yeah, she's nutty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, last well, you know, last fall to promote to when the when the hardcover came out, she helped me through this really interesting experiment. I went and I ran the Chicago Marathon. Uh and then two weeks later I ran five marathons in five days. Hmm. Including the Marine Corps marathon. And then three days after that, Ronnie and I ran the New York City Marathon. Wow. So it was like seven marathons in three weeks. And then two weeks after that, I ran another 50-mile race. And that was all basically just sort of an experiment to say, well, what would it be like? And could you do this? And what's interesting about it is I found that I, I got through it all with no injury. And But Linda, really interesting, my wife Linda said, said uh, she watched me and, and about four marathons into this, she said, you know, you're, you're getting flaky. Like you're not making sense. <laughs> and, and she was, and she was right. I mean, I, I was just, cause it was just a lot of running and, and we got up one morning and she said, before you start running today, we're going to breakfast. And this was like fourth marathon, I think. And she, and I said, Oh, what do you mean? And I was, you know, completely loopy. <laughs> And because I was sort of running a series of marathons from here in D.C. to New York. And she said, come on over here. And we went to this pancake place. 
And she ordered like the biggest breakfast they had for me. And she said, you are not eating enough. And you don't know it because you're running so long every day right now and your system's in such turmoil. Just sit here and eat this. And I thought, oh, I can't possibly eat this. I ate everything on the plate and 30 minutes later felt completely like a new person. Right. And she was over there with that sort of, you know, she was nodding with that, that wise uh, – uh, the, the wise uh, face of a mother is sort of like, yeah, stupid, you weren't eating enough. <laughs> now, now get back out there and run again. It is totally so. true that, that, yeah, the power of pancakes and the power of carbs. I had to go on um, the South Beach diet for two weeks for a story for Runner's World, and my husband joined me in solidarity. And, I mean, we were just forgetting things left and right, like, you know, names of people that we knew really well, or he went to an appointment a day early, you know, thinking it was, oh, it's Monday. No, mm-mm, it's not. And uh, yeah. it just really, really affects the brain power. It's very, you know, one of the things that we have really uh, been reading a lot about lately that I find, uh, I don't really know a whole lot about it, is this whole difficult marriage of running with diet and particularly with weight loss. Mm-hmm. Because I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, to Boston qualify this fall. I know it would help me immensely to be lighter than I am. Mm-hmm. But you, the same thing you're talking about. You, you try to cut back and say, well, I'll control my portions. I'll do all of this and this. But then you go out and do eight or ten miles of speed work. And, you know, it's like I could eat a moose. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're like, you're like how, how on earth do I control this? Because my system is swinging wildly from you know, tremendous output to just being ravenous and you know, trying to sleep enough. And oh, it's, it's all very complicated. Yeah. Yeah, you are speaking the language of many mother runners know too well as they start they start running to lose weight. And it's like, wait a minute, now that I'm training for this half marathon, I've put on a few pounds. Like, what's going on here? So, I know it's very difficult, and I don't, I don't know what the solution is. I also don't know what the solution is to uh, the aging equation because right. so many running programs are based seemingly on the idea of people who are in their 20s or early 30s. Well... You know, you need a different equation when you start talking about somebody who's in their late 40s or early 50s. And very few running programs that I know have a different equation. They they sort of generally say something like, and if you're older, maybe you should rest some more. Well, that doesn't really help me a whole lot. It, it would be a little, it would be interesting if there were a little more science that broke down what to do as we get older, because I did learn this. I thought when I was 21 years old, I thought, this is the way I'm going to be. Look at me. I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. And I was so shocked to find, you know, at the age of 30, oh, wow, I'm not at all like I was at 21. And at the age of 40, I'm not at all the way I was when I was 30. So th- those are real shocks, and they completely change how you approach this stuff. Right. Well, well, then it brings up a question we we're going to ask you later, but um, have you ever considered having a coach? Because I, I got to This say- is such a great question. <laughs> this is a fantastic question. That has been one of the number one discussions around our house for the past month. Oh, well, because Linda, Uh to get ready for her first half, she went with the team Mm -hmm. and had this wonderful woman who was like the coach of the team, who was just brilliant at that, that sort of nice, gentle, you know, encourage you, push you a little bit harder, but also give you enough room that you don't feel like dropping out and just made it wonder. And she got finished with it all. And Linda said, I think you should really think about a coach. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was always the nonsense, I'll strap on my kids and take <laughs> off in the woods. You know? but, but I totally believe in this now, and I'm currently talking to uh, several people who I've met uh, through various running clubs about exactly what what would be the right coaching strategy for me, because one of the things I've really heard from them that has been tremendous, particularly with the idea of Boston qualifying, mm-hmm. a lot of them have said, you know, qualifying for Boston is kind of a trick, and if you have the right coach, they can talk you through that trick in the right way and, and get you closer to the results. It's not just, you know, so like so much running, it's not just going out there and stacking miles. Yes, there's that, but there's a smart way to stack them. I think that would be helpful. And I would also like a coach who, could, who can simply see what you can never see in yourself. 
Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, yeah, so, yeah, and I think it'd be helpful. So I, um, Adrian currently has a coach and I, and well, I, I do too. And, and I used my coach to qualify for Boston for a second time in 2014. And I mean, you saying about the tricks, it's not just on the runs, it's tricks in terms of warmups that you do beforehand and dynamic flexibility drills you do afterward. And, you know, hip strengthening exercises that you do, you know, just for like 10 minutes, two or three times a week. And I, I always call them my magic pills, because she was able to get a time out of me that I really thought was way, way, way far in my rearview mirror. And oh, wow, I like see, that's good news. So you were so you both think that that me doing the coach route is a smart move. Oh, I mean, Tom, I, I, totally. Tom, I was like, talking back to the book. Yeah. I'm like, why doesn't he have a coach? Hire a yeah. coach. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, I also because the thing is, is that a coach isn't all that expensive. So, so that, you know, and, and, you know, you work for CNN. So I don't think, you know, you're on the tightest budget in the world. But even if you were, I swear you could afford it. Right. Well, you know, one of our one of our running clubs here, I know uh, somebody told me with the running club, they said they have a bunch of coaches with the running club. And this may be true of a lot of clubs where they said the coaches essentially are donating their time to the club just to help out people. And they said there's a little fee involved to help, you know, the club manage it all. But that it's really the whole point is about people helping others run. And I just, I just think maybe it's the smart thing to do because I, I got to tell you, I've been one of those people, and uh, you know, uh, this is speaking about my gender. <laughs> uh, you know, you know the whole thing about guys not wanting to ask directions. Right. I, I think there's, uh, first of all, with GPS, we don't have to, um, but, but uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that certain brain types and certain personalities, a lot of which seem to correlate with guys make it such that we often have the, well, I'm going to do it on my own. And then I think, yeah, but, but why? There are people out there who actually know how to do this. And I know this, you're absolutely right. From the book, I've had people afterward who were experienced ultra runners who afterwards said, oh my gosh, you did it like the hardest way. Mm -hmm. And since then I've run some ultras where I wasn't nearly as trained by miles as I was for that one. And yet I was perfectly fine and ran them very well because I understood the race. And I've been around some people who understand them better, who were able to say to me, no, 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 don't do this. Do this. You'll find it easier. And you really do. Yeah, because I also think that when reading the book, I just thought, oh, he's in his 50s. He's putting in so many miles. And I think you got a pass on all those miles because you took time off from running. So you weren't pounding. It wasn't like you kept running from when you were in your high school years and pounded, pounded, pounded all those years. So you gave your joints a break. And I don't know. I just think unless you get a coach into the mix, you're, you are really flirting with injury an overuse injury in a big way. I think you're probably right because I will say after I did that crazy run last fall, all yeah, those yeah. stack of mm-hmm. runs, yep. right. no, no injury, right? Mm-hmm. I got through it and I thought, hey, this is great. I feel wonderful. I ran a few short races afterward and ran really good times for me. And I thought, this is great. But honestly, probably only six or seven weeks ago did I start feeling like my legs had any kind of bounce in them again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because I, I went through, you know, December and January and February saying, wow, my legs still feel just as flat as they do, mm-hmm. you know, in the week or week after a really hard race. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, it made me question exactly what sort of cellular level damage that you do mm-hmm. by stacking that much. Mm-hmm. See, and a, and a coach can also then help you with that recovery because, you know, I keep my coach after a race so because, you know, you got to come off it in the right way. And so that then you are primed for whatever goals you might have down the road, even if it's just, you know, not walking with a limp when you get out of your car after a long drive, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. I was talking to a guy and we were in this little, uh, little, 12 mile race a couple months ago. It's a nice run. And I was talking to a guy who I knew from one of the running clubs and we just ran together in the race. We were chatting the whole time. And he said something that I have thought about numerous times since that I really think is a good piece of advice. He said, in fact, weirdly enough, he's a guy who read the book and I ran into him on a trail. He was going the opposite direction. He saw me and sort of slammed on the brakes and ran back and said, Hey, you wrote the book, didn't you? And I'm like, well, yeah. And we became like pals. So now um, he, uh, but he said something that I thought was really wise. We were running along and he said, 
um, if I had a choice between laying down some blistering miles right now or being able to run until I'm 90, I'll take running until I'm 90. Oh, yeah. And I really think that's true because, honestly, I want to run with my daughters and my wife and anybody who wants to run. I want to be able to do it for a long time so we can have that quality time together and that quality of life together. And honestly, I'm not not one of these people who sits around worrying about when grandkids will come along or if they'll come along. But if they do, I'd like to be the crazy old grandpa who runs with them Mm -hmm. because that would be a nice thing, right? And and I think you're right. Probably some kind of coaching, somebody who knows how to get me there without just trashing everything out might be really helpful now while we have something to work with as opposed to waiting till I'm broken down and trying to fix it. Right, right. right. And also right. with with a busy work schedule, you know, with traveling for your job, you know, a coach can take all those factors into consideration. And so, yeah, I think we I think we've sold you on a on a coach. So. Yes, I'm I'm sold. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so, done. so uh, and if you need any names, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, uh, so as for the race with Ronnie, I love your advice of never try to impress people with where you start. Impress them with where you finish. So yeah. So what what were the goals that you and Ronnie had going into the race? Uh, the goal, you know, I'm I'm very big on this now that I and I'm the first to say. You know, a lot of a lot of people now, because of the book and because I've run so much, will ask me for they'll ask me for running advice, and I will say, look, all I can tell you is what I've done. I don't really, I don't really even profess to know that much about it. There are so many people who know so much more, um, but there are a few things I can tell you. One of them has to do with goals. I tend to tell people uh, because because I like to see li- running as more of a lifetime thing, as opposed to just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. I tend to say to people, look, whatever race you're running, if you've never done one before, if it's 5K, 10K, whether you're doing your first half marathon, your first marathon, whatever it is, the first time you're running a new distance, your only real goal is to get through that race feeling pretty good. That's the only real goal because you need to understand the distance. You need to understand what it feels like. You need to understand what it's going to do to you. Now, certainly there are great elite athletes who can do otherwise. They can go out and flat out race them from the beginning. But that's, you know, a tiny sliver of 1%. The rest of us are different animals. And and so I say to people, feel good. And the other thing is, I don't know where I picked this up, but I really like this idea. I always say, have three goals. One is a base level goal. Like, we're just going to get through this. We're going to feel okay. And that's all that matters. In our race in Atlanta, um, the base level goal for Ronnie for her first marathon, the base level goal was let's get you through this race. One way or the other, beginning to end, 26.2 miles, you're going to finish a marathon and you're going to feel good about it. The second level goal, let's get you through this race in under five hours because she was a new runner and there are a lot of hills and everything. Let's just do that. That would feel good. And then third level is let's have a magnificent, amazing race where you blow the roof off everything. We really totally hit the middle goal, and that's a great thing. And the reason I say to people have three goals, especially in longer races, you both know. You can, in something like a a 10-miler or a a half marathon, you can easily have a disastrous first two miles Mm -hmm. for no reason. You just, you know, you get out there, everything's right, and, and suddenly it's not clicking. Or the crowd's wrong, or you run into a bottleneck, or something that makes it a mess. Well, you can't run another 11 miles feeling like you wasted your morning. Right. So have some secondary goal that you can go to because in the end, even for experienced runners, when you finish any one of these races, you ought to be able to go home and say, I did something worthwhile today. Right. And I think that's really important for most of us. That's always my my C goal is always finish upright. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mostly smiling. Yeah. 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 And you've all had, we've all had terrible races, right? Oh yeah. 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 We call them uh, goal A, B, and C, but, um, yes. Yes. Oh, well, there you go. So I was telling you something you didn't need to hear. That's good. That's good. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) (laughs) Always good to hear a different perspective. And, and, um, so speaking of feeling good during a race, um, I love that you tell Ronnie you're fine. Um, in the, the races that you're running, because it's a phrase that I repeat countless times to my kids. 
And but but from but from having said it so many times to my kids, I know that it can backfire. And so, did you worry about that during the half marathon and then during the full that she? Might I didn't worry about it then. I, I worry about it now because now she gives me a hard time. She'll she'll I will do something and I will like you know nearly break a toe on a trail or something, and she'll turn around and very sarcastically go, "You're fine." <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what the best? You know the my my wife and I, Linda and I, have often said for years. Um, uh, when people are having babies or having you know little kids, and they say, "Oh well, what advice do you have as parents?" We often say, mm, "You know, not a whole lot of advice because everybody's different, and everything is." One of my favorite sayings is, "People who need advice are usually not smart enough to take it, and people who are smart enough to take it usually don't need it." <laughs> but um, uh, the one bit of advice that is absolutely indispensable to every parent in the world, especially with little kids, buy a bright red washcloth. Oh, I thought that was brilliant. Oh, yeah. I thought yeah. that was brilliant. It is the best thing ever. <laughs> I mean, like when they fall and they cut their knee open, they do some because kids are always doing that kind of stuff. You can clean them up and they can't see the blood and they think every, and then when you say you're fine, they kind of believe you. Oh my god! Yeah, when I read that in the book, I was like, "Oh, that is so brilliant!" And I thought, oh, "Okay." So my youngest kids—I have twins who are ten and a fourteen-year-old daughter—I'm like, oh, "Is it too late to buy a red washcloth? Like, did that window? Did the red washcloth window See, close?" Too clever now they will know now. <laughs> but that was Linda's. That was Linda's whole deal, and it it works like a charm. We'd be signaling each other over the kids' head, sort of like, "Oh my gosh, we got to go to the emergency room." But you'd say to them, "You're fine," and wipe it up, and they're like, "Well, okay." And most people do the opposite. They get a bright, bright white washcloth. And they start cleaning the kid. It looks like they're slaughtering hogs. It's like the most horrible thing imaginable. And of course, the kid's screaming. I'd be screaming. I've discovered that my daughter's response to uh, whenever she hurts herself and I say, oh, you're fine, or something along those lines, is to look at me and very dryly say, I love you too, mom. (laughs) Well, what are you going to do? The sarcasm runs strong with that one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So... You write about it in the book, but it sounds like uh, the long hours of training and kind of a borderline obsession with running caused a little bit of strain with your relationship with your wife. Um, so do you have any advice for mother runners who are trying to keep family relationships strong while training for a long race? I think something I learned in this process is that I repeat to an awful lot of runners now when I speak at runner conferences and things like this is, look... Running is often a solitary activity, but the ripples of your running will touch an awful lot of people, and you can make it for the good or for the bad. One way you make it for the good is let people know what you're doing. My wife knows that I want to BQ this fall. We know the date of the race. We know what I'm aiming for. And because it's early September that we're trying to do this, she knows that in August and late July, I'm really going to be tied up with an awful lot of our free time with heading toward the finish line here and trying to make it work. I think it's really important for people to let people and let the people in their lives know what their goals are so that they have some sense of the ebb and flow of these things. And then if you're aiming for a marathon in October or November, or an ultra marathon, whatever it may be, the the corollary to all of that, as I say to people, work as hard at your life as you do at running. Mm. Because if you retreat into a cave of, I run, I eat, I sleep, and I work, people will resent the running. Mm-hmm. We don't want them to, but they will, and I don't blame them, because you can be gone a long time. But if you'll just make the effort to say, okay, I, I did a you know a 15-miler this morning, and it was hot, and I'm going to need a little nap this afternoon, but I'm not going to nap away the whole afternoon. Mm-hmm. I'm going to grab a little bit, feel better, and then I'm going to put some effort into making sure that my family and my friends feel like they're attended to as well. Then they see the good of running, mm-hmm. and they will support you in it. If you don't do that, they will start fish biting at you doing it, saying, eh, I don't like that much. And then you will start resenting it, and they'll resent it. And then suddenly something that should be adding to your life really takes away from it. And that's something I learned through that process because it, I, I did not realize how much pressure it was putting, particularly on Linda, that I was gone doing all of that. 
and and honestly, I would not have done that kind of mileage when the girls were younger. I mean, there mm-hmm. was one of the reasons I didn't do marathons all those years was uh, I just couldn't justify the amount of time when they were younger with everything else with this job. You know, the job itself is demanding enough without adding that. Plus, I've always had other interests. So, but I, I think that's really a good thing to do to let other people be part of it, even if they're not runners. Let them see that this is a good thing for everyone, including them, and and don't. You know, I think it's very important for us to not try to be too selfish about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, have to ask then, what race are you going to try to BQ at? Oh, you know, I'm trying to BQ at a, a very peculiar little race here in D.C. called the Abibi Bakila International Peace Day Marathon. Mm. <laughs> it's very small. Of course, it's named for a magnificent, magnificent right. runner. And it's it's uh, it's probably everything that most of us in running don't like in a race. It's a absolutely flat course. Mm. I think the entire elevation change is 45 feet, which is virtually non-existent. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a double out and back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on a uh, and, and it's on a, uh, a sort of a dirt path. But it's a road uh, um, alongside this canal. So it's out and back, out and back. And here's the weird part about it. I, I wanted to try to train. I, I thought it would be interesting if I could qualify for 2017. But because of all the heavy running I did last fall, I couldn't do it then. And I hadn't really recovered enough by this spring. So I thought, well, you know, it's really hard to get a race in before the applications open in the fall. Right, right yeah. Because most races are after that. So. I started looking around. I was looking at all these squirrely little odd races, and I was like, well, what about this one? What about this one? And then suddenly I saw this one. This race starts like six miles from my door. Oh, that's and it's on a path that I routinely train on all the time. So I thought, well, let's go try it and see what happens. There are only about 180 finishers. It's very small, but it's certified, and it happens on the Saturday before Boston applications open on Monday. Okay. Oh, so yeah. So, so we'll see. I don't. I don't know. Maybe that out and back twice on a flat course, course with so few people, maybe that'll actually slow me down, because you know you you get some of that energy of the crowd, and there will be no right. crowd here. Right. So I don't know. So I think I have to get a, a really very specific zen in my head <laughs> for this run and see if it works. But that's that's my target. Is it a good <laughs> idea, bad idea. What do you guys think? Well, I have a few concerns because it's D.C. And it's early September, yeah. so it could be very yeah. hot and humid. It could be. And so then you yeah. have to throw your time goal out the window because otherwise you're going to um, overexert yourself. Um, That's true. And it's kind of an er, kind of a late start. I think I think the race itself starts at eight, maybe maybe oh. even nine. Oh. It's, it's later. So yes, the heat. I'm I'm aware of that, and okay, that yeah, could yeah, be an yeah, issue. Yeah. So and then also I got to say that. Um, Flat races are not always your friend, and you know that from ultra running. That you know yeah. it, the undulating, you know, terrain under your feet gives your muscles a rest. You know, says, oh, "Okay, hey, hammies, take it, take a little break here, because we're you know going you know downhill or whatever it is, or you know, let's call in some new muscles because now we're going uphill." And um, yeah, I mean, my my PR is on a, f- a very flat course, but I have rarely ever felt so thrashed after a marathon. Yeah, see, I don't know about that. And a friend, uh, uh, this guy who I'm actually talking to about uh, coaching here, a wonderful, wonderful guy, uh, has suggested uh, the the race up at, at uh, what is it called, the Erie? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's on a marathon. close that's on a close course too, and um, in a, it's in a state park. Yeah, it's supposed to, be, but that's also supposed to be a really great uh, BQ yeah. race, right? Yeah. yeah, we have, and that's uh, on the Sunday. Before, yeah, and the weather uh, might be a little. More yeah, and it's in Pennsylvania, there. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's I, right on the lake. I know some. Wait, um, um, avid listener Jen. Hi, Jen. Is um, she's training to qualify for Boston at that okay. same race. So, um, I don't know. So that might be um, just because I just find it just really thrashes your quads to run so much on flat. Well, I, I, I'll agree with that because I, I tend to, it's kind of funny because I, I tend to like hills and races mm-hmm. and I've, I've, you know, you always hear people, it's really, I always laugh because every race you run, particularly half marathons where you have a lot of people who've never done anything more than that distance, I always get a kick out of people near the beginning because you'll hear people just groaning and groaning and groaning about the hills and, and they're often not really that bad as hills mm-hmm. go. And mm-hmm. I always say to people, look, every race director in the world lies about their hills. Yes. <laughs> You're like, you know, what is every, every race out there is, 
moderate hills to rolling hills, you know, a right. few of them, they all say that. And it may be like the Himalayas or it may be nothing at all. Yeah. But usually there are a few hills and I just, I like them. They tend to be, tend to be good to me, but, but yeah, I'm sort of prepared. I'm thinking about that, whether or not it's just going to beat me up horrifically to run on a flat that long. Yeah. Uh, and- but we'll see. I ran that, that sun Saturday morning, Saturday morning, I went out and did 12 miles on the course itself. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, it was a long, slow run. I wasn't trying to grind it or anything. And, you know, mixed emotions. It's easy to feel like you're not moving Mm -hmm. because everything looks the same. Right. Mm -hmm. And also, I got to say, having qualified for Boston twice, I mean, the start, and I am not a talented, gifted, natural runner, um, the stars have really got to align to make it happen. And, yeah. you know, and weather can be such a big part of that. I've run 13 marathons and just run into way too much heat on them. And the last time I qualified for Boston was on a nice overcast day in the fifties up in Canada. So, yeah, see, that's what I'm thinking. And I'm, what I think I'm going to do is, is I, I think that this one is just going to be a flyer. I'm going to try it. Right. If it happens, great. The next spring I'm running in Boston and Ronnie, who's featured in the book now lives her apartment She's doing her graduate work at MIT. Oh. Her apartment is at the 25-mile mark for the yeah. marathon. Awesome. Yeah, isn't that great? So, so, if, if, so if I can get it, pardon? So she can see the Sitco sign from her... Uh... Yes, she can, from her window. <laughs> nice. From nice. her kitchen and from her living room. It's fantastic. So, so if it works, then I'll run next spring in Boston if I can get it you know, far enough under to truly get into the race. Um, but then if it doesn't work... The good part is I should have a really solid base. I can do some fun racing through fall just to kick around a little bit and then target running really well in the spring and trying to pick a better weather, quicker path, that sort of thing. I've got some time to work with then because then I'm not talking about qualifying until 2018. Right, right, yeah. So, okay, so, so yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, so, so from reading the book, uh, we have a couple gear questions. Okay, so oh. so you braved a boatload of harsh weather out there. It sounded like particularly um, bad winter that you were having to train for that marathon through, and you, it seemed to me like you made a couple foolhardy like choices, going not to use too harsh a word toward you, um, but that you know, like going out <laughs> when it was dark and really, really mm-hmm. slip. I just thought, oh, when is he going to slide and like totally pull, you know, get a groin pull? Like it, like I was just waiting for it to happen. Yeah. And and so so you ever heard of this nifty thing called a treadmill? Like did you ever think about? I have heard. I've done. I've done some treadmill time. Like a lot of runners, it's like you know, it's like time in purgatory. I oh sure, like, yeah. Uh, right. Treadmill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh. And I, it it always feels unusual to me to, to be on a treadmill. Um, I there are things that I did in my year of running dangerously that I pretty much don't do now. I I almost always run with the phone now, for example. I don't go out after dark without a light, Mm -hmm. which I used to do all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more mindful of exactly what you're talking about. When I'm running through really uh, slippery, kind of crazy conditions, I'm much more prone to say, okay, let's either not run today or find some place where I can run where it won't be horrendous or if it comes to it go to a treadmill but uh i don't i don't like to do it much because i still like being out there and there are a lot of great adventures but i i will say the real miracle of my year of running dangerously the miracle of it was that i did not get hurt oh for sure there were so many ways i could have yeah yeah, I kept cringing as I was reading some of those. I was like, oh, oh, please don't. Please don't. Yeah, this is, this is funny. All the, all the people who really know about running, that's their response to it. They're all like, what are you thinking? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> the first time, do you, you, you guys do trails? Yes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the first time I got on trails, my description in the book is exactly what it was like. I got out there and started running, and I was thinking, well, this can't be right. People run this? How, how does anybody run this? And now, you know, I so I love trails for the very reason you described about running, you know, hills. It loosens up everything. Mm-hmm. I, I feel so much better after a good trail. And it's funny because, you know, when I, I'll take people out who have never trail run, I'll say, come on with me. We'll go have a good run. And their first reaction, you can see this kind of wild look in their eyes after the first, you know, half mile. Like, good Lord, how do you run like this? But then they sort of settle down and they get it. 
But uh, that first time, again, because I was doing it on my own, I at moments I thought, did I totally misunderstand this? Is this not what I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing? Is this not because this seems really hard? Yeah. Oh my god. This seems like a mistake. Is this a mistake? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. And there's well, there's those runs, right? There's those there's those runs when you think, and and I did think in in this you, to go back to what you said earlier about the family. I, I yeah, this really was a wonderful thing that became a new important thing for our family. But along the way, there were those times when it was taxing and difficult and it was hard. And there were moments when I thought, should I not be doing this? Should I just stop this? Because I don't want this to become a destructive thing. This should be helpful to our family. And I know I've always had a a job that's the kind of job that can be very demanding. I mean, we lived for 10 years when I was based in Denver for ABC News. We lived for 10 years with a bag in the trunk. And when the phone rang or the pager went off back then, um, when it went off, it was often right now, this moment, no matter what you're doing, go to the airport. You may be gone for three days, maybe three weeks, maybe three months, but go. And so there was a bag in the car all the time. And we lived that way. And I know that the, that kind of job alone can wear on people and make it hard on people. And especially you know, in the world we live in today, often what you're going to is also an emotionally draining, difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, that, so, so I was mindful of that. As the hours stacked up and the miles stacked up later in the year, I thought, be careful here because I could see the strain a little bit on Linda more than anyone else. But I could see the strain on people saying, okay, this is great. Don't go stone crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Know. And I thought about, you know, it sounded like you kind of didn't spend much time with your friends during that year. And um, so have you found kind of a better work-life running balance, would you say? Well, well, yeah, I, I definitely have. And it's made me aware of the notion that I, I don't know. I will probably run an ultra this fall because a friend uh, of Linda's has, has never run one before. And she and I were talking one day when we were all together and, uh, and uh, Linda sort of volunteered me. She's like, Tom will help you run it. I was like, I will? She's like, sure, he'll pace you. And I'm like, okay. okay. Um, but they're really nice people. And that won't be a hard run. It'll just be a long run. And I, I, I find that, I, I say that as a, as a preface to the idea. There are certain races out there that still sort of captivate me and that I think would be really interesting to do. I don't know if I will try them simply because of the time commitment mm-hmm. that would be involved in preparing for them. And I'm not sure. You know, here's the other interesting thing. When your children grow up and go off to college, as our, both of our girls are now, you know, Allie's down at Georgia Tech, Ronnie's up at MIT. You know, it's really also another important time to sort of reset who you are as a couple, Mm-hmm. And we have not found that to be a terribly easy experience, in part because we're a very close family. And suddenly Linda and I had to say, okay, so what do we do now? We're no longer a young dating couple. We can't go out to dinner every night. <laughs> there aren't that many movies to see. Mm-hmm. So how do we reignite the sense of what it is to have fun? And and as I, as I often think... I, I think I wrote about this in the book a little bit. There's just no joy in thinking the second half of your life is going to be some pale shadow or imitation of the first half. Right. We don't want that. We want it to be something interesting and challenging and full of fun. And that's not, I know that I will not find fulfillment in that. Neither will Linda by just saying, let's just bag a whole bunch of races. Mm-hmm. The races are a great, wonderful thing, but, you know, the the running and racing to me is the cayenne in the recipe of my life. Mm. It's great and it's spicy and it's wonderful, but it's not the meat in the middle. The meat in the middle has to be everything else, your relationships, your sense of caring about people around you and them caring about you. And, and this is a great thing that builds off of that, you know. So, so we spend a lot of time now working on this idea of, okay, what are we going to do now? I often say to my wife and sometimes to her boyfriend, we need to work on this. 
Yeah, I think I think, I think that's an, I think that's a note we're going to go out on, you know. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, come, that's yeah. the note she went out on. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on, we want no, this picked up by TMZ, like you know. Human being in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, and, she. Uh, and the girls have been too, and it's just been, oh, it's been such a great thing. This the whole experience. Here's the interesting thing about writing this book. The interesting thing about it to me is. People ask how much time it took to write it, and I don't really know. I can tell you how much time it took to live it, mm. um, because that's really what this is all about, and remembering conversations, and remembering why something mattered, and figuring out what difference it made. And you know, people. I once had a really wonderful editor say about novels, he said, every novel, in its essence, is the story of how somebody changes. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. You may have a big plot, you may have a million things going on, but all you really care about is how did somebody change? And I thought about that many times writing this book. I kept saying to myself, how did I change? And that's what this needs to be the story of. And in the end, I think it is. It's the story of how I changed, how my family changed, how my work changed, how my relationships changed, and it had a lot of running in it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, Tom. This was an oh, interesting man, conversation. This is a pleasure. This great. is a pleasure. Great, great, great. And uh, happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to you all. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great being a father. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's great being a father. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate every day in my life to have two lovely daughters and to be married to a lovely daughter. Yeah. Who, yeah. You know, who uh, <laughs> has a father that she loves a great deal. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tom. Take care. All right. We'll see you all on the trails. That was an entertaining conversation that took some twists and turns that I did not see coming. So, um, exactly. yeah, yeah, that was, um, there's always a little bit of trepidation when you, you know, interview someone who interviews people as their right. job. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was worried about, too. I was like, hmm, yeah, when does it turn? <laughs> right. When does it turn? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, all right. Let's hear from Dimity in the Train Like a Mother Club. Welcome back to the Train Like a Mother Club corner. We are like that famous Boston bar where everybody knows your name. Don't worry, I won't sing it, but I will say I miss Norm. I miss Norm and the postman Cliff Clavern, right? I'm really dating myself. Anyway, it's Dimity here with a little bit of a race report, given that um, many of the spring challenges are over or coming close to being done. The five Kers have all ripped it up and had a great time and had satisfactory training cycles. Um, we have a couple waves left to go in the 10K half marathon and marathon, but we're getting up there. So with that in mind, I wanted to give a little race report from Shawnee. Shawnee, I think is how you say her name. Or Shawnee, if you want a little attitude in it. Shawnee. Um, she's in the 13.1 race challenge. She says, race report. I am practically incoherent with giddiness and pride. My A++ goal, she says, I do A and A+, and A++, instead of ABC goals, because I feel like finishing gets me an automatic A which I totally agree. So a, her A++ goals were for this race weekend to run the evening 10K at a training pace, super gentle, fuel and recover correctly for back-to-back races. So she was doing a 10K on Friday night and a half marathon on Saturday evening. Finished my half feeling strong and well-trained and match her half PR. So, so quite an ambitious weekend for Shawnee. Hot diggity dog, she says. I came within 30 seconds of my PR on the half. I felt strong and badass, and I'm on a huge high of pride and confidence. The race training plan on top of a good base totally prepared me. I am so psyched to train for my first marathon now. Also, thanks to the AMR podcast with Danny Dreyer of Chi Running, I had a, a transformative experience. On Saturday night, my run was going well, and then I started to have sud- sudden sharp, ugly pain in the right arch of my foot. I started to worry, but then I remembered not to tell myself a big story about it. 
Instead, I silently asked my body what it needed. I can't consciously explain the shifts I made in my form, but then I could feel myself running a bit differently and my foot stopped hurting. About half a mile later, a spectator who was clearly an experienced runner, you know the look, he was probably a cross-country coach, shouted at me, great form. That's about the best compliment I could ask for. I used the strategy of asking my body what it needed again today and found it to be incredibly effective. Thank you, Bammer Training, tri- Training Tribe, that's hard to say, say that fast, and Coach Christine for this incredible training experience. I have so much gratitude for you all. Shawnee, I have a lot of gratitude for that awesome race situation, you A++er. plus pluser. So proud of you and everybody else. Um, so yeah, have a great time as you train for twice the distance now. We've got you every step of the way from your first step to the finish line in the Train Like a Mother Club. So um, our fall challenges are still um, open for registration. If you have any questions or want to check them out, go to trainlikeamother.club or email us at Tlam, T-L-A-M, club at gmail.com. And I'll be back here next weekend with some beer and some peanuts and another story. Thanks. Have a good week. Please join us for the AMR Retreat Run Plus Refresh happening in beautiful Spokane, Washington, September 22nd through 25th. The focus of the retreat, in addition to fun and making friends, is the Happy Girls Spokane race on the Saturday of the retreat. Choose to run the 5K, 10K, or half marathon, or keep me company near the finish line as I'm the race MC. During the weekend, numerous experts will share training and racing advice. There will be yoga sessions, foam rolling clinics, talks by a sports dietitian, and plenty of time to relax, including exploring Spokane's charming downtown or lounging by the host hotel's lovely pool. Also, also, we are recording a podcast on the first night of the retreat because three co-hosts will be there. Alas, Adrian will not. Um, I'm bitter. I'm I know. Bitter. You'll be in Italy, you wench. <laughs> How do you say <laughs> wench in Italian? Um, so, um, so yes, the co-hosts that will be there in Spokane are Dimity, Coach Christine, and my best running friend, Molly. That's a new addition. Um, for all the details and to register, go to anothermotherrunner.com slash retreat. Again, that's anothermotherrunner.com slash retreat. We really hope you'll join us in Spokane in September. And many happy miles to everyone, and happy Father's Day to all the dads listening.